Thank you so much. All right, it's good to be here. I'm gonna set this down. Now, I know some of you have maybe met me before, and uh, just as a review, my name is Jeremy. I live here in Mission Valley or in San Diego with uh, my wife. Uh, we've been married just past 15 years. We have two little boys, they're six and eight, and they're just a ton of fun. They're wild, crazy. People ask me, uh, one of my neighbors asked me if I was gonna get a dog, and I'm like, we can only raise humans right now in my house. And they're like little puppies a lot of times anyway. They're constantly fighting, but in a nice, playful way. And uh, man, it's, it's good they took after their mother so much, so they're amazing, kind-hearted kids. We are so blessed. And, uh, but it's, it's been an absolute privilege for us to be a part of uh, the journey for King's Cross Church. And as I said previously, I was able to meet Obed. Actually, my role with the North American Mission Board uh, just started uh, right when I first met Obed. He was one of the first guys that I met with. I'd been here for six years and we met with Obed. So this journey for King's Cross to see where you guys are now and what God has in store is so exciting. And it is really a joy that I get to be a part of, of your story. So thank you for, some of you maybe didn't have a choice, but uh, thank you for those who did have a choice. And uh, we look forward to, as Josh said, uh, Obel and, and Elena being able to be back. And at one, you know, honestly, um, kind of like what we're going to look at today in Acts, there, there were some tough times where even as we had, uh, we were hopeful and faithful about what, how God was going to respond. Nobody really had answers about how things were going to take place what if it was even possible for as much as we believed and we wanted to try we weren't sure so i think some of you i know you're coming into the story um maybe and not knowing the full extent but it really is god working in a powerful way so i hope you understand um if they are called to this church and to this people i mean for them to work so hard and to fight to come back and i've told him i think man this is typically uh, as churches if they go or we as people if we go through really tough seasons and what like what we're going to look at in Acts here church is going through a, a tough season is an understatement the church in Acts 12 is going through an existential threat is really what we talk about the very existence of the church is being threatened here and certainly uh, when we read Acts it's easy to forget that you know, this this is not just uh, some kind of academic exercise but these are real people living this experience and but I feel like for you guys, it's providential as you have gone through Acts. I think for you as a, as an early church, I hope you can read what this church, the New Testament church, went through early on and be encouraged in seeing that. But much like in Acts 12, where this story has a happy has a happy ending, we look forward to uh, when o Obed and Elena can get back. So one of the things I want to start doing is start out today by doing is reading the whole chapter of Acts 12, and I'm, I'm not sure. It's kind of funny, I was telling somebody the other day, I feel like I almost have to, we as a culture, sometimes we have to apologize if we have to read a whole section of scripture Scripture like we can't uh, pay attention that long. But I feel like as a, in a narrative section, it really helps to get the whole idea of what's going on, and then we want to break this down. And um, once again, a, a help that I, I mentioned it last time, I mentioned it again, in reading a narrative, I can remember as, a, as an early believer, just reading through Acts, I'm just like, okay, I get this story, I don't, understand always what the takeaway is supposed to be and something that I learned that really helped me uh, from just training is that imagine yourself in their shoes as you're living through this and think about it through the different perspectives of people that are involved in these events and I really think it can help you to, to grasp 
some truths that otherwise you would miss. So today we're, we're going to be looking at that and, and take away three main ideas. And I think it's on the website, uh, but if not, feel free to jot these things down. But let's get started in Acts uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And what I'll do is I'll, I may do an aside to give you guys a little background story as we read in case your first century Roman uh, history isn't up to date like mine wasn't. True story, I was like, I totally had to buff up on a lot of this. You know, it's like because you probably don't get asked a lot, you know, who was the emperor in 40, at 40 AD, you know, maybe in World Civ, but it's been a while since then. So we slept a lot of time. So don't, don't feel bad if you don't remember all these people. But starting in verse one says this, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. That happened, this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads or four soldiers each. So Peter's got a reputation. You know, if you guys, do you guys have a good heist movie that you like to watch? You know, I don't know if you like uh, the Marvel movies. My kids, we've watched a lot of movies during quarantine. Pardon me. It's funny, like as a as a parent, you you I felt like I knew more about parenting before I had kids. You know, the best parents don't have kids yet in their mind. So we've learned you just got to do what you got to do sometimes. So we watched all the Marvel movies. We're thinking about starting again. But anyway, one of my favorite uh, Marvel heist movies is Ant-Man. So if you guys have seen Ant-Man, I don't know if you like it, but heist movies are fun. And so basically, Peter, he already has a reputation. You know, it's not like King Herod would say, oh, I believe Peter is a follower of Jesus, but like this dude can get out of prison, okay? So we're gonna have to step things up a little bit. And so he's not just down at the county jail with Barney Fife, you know, with the sheriff over there. He is in the supermax right now, okay? So it's not just like he's gonna, somebody's gonna turn and he's gonna be able to walk out. So Herod is trying to do this. And just a little backstory as well on, on, on King Herod. He was friends with the emperor at this time, and that was one of the reasons why he was able to gain this position uh, of, of notoriety. His family was known to be pretty ruthless, uh, and they, they're involved in a number of these matters, uh, in New Testament matters, as you'll see with the life of Jesus, even when he was born versus to where, to where he is now. But for him, he was very much dependent upon everybody liking him. Okay, He, he needed the approval of everybody around him. He wasn't just someone... In order not just for him to feel good about himself, he felt like that was his best path of continuing to rule and continuing to, to lead and have the position that he did. So I don't think that he had like Twitter polls or anything like this to measure his uh, approval rating. But what he learned after he uh, intending, you know, he re- arrested James, the brother of John. So if you guys are, uh, you know, keeping track of this, James was a big deal okay james the brother of john there were three disciples you know obviously there were 12 disciples that spent a lot of time with jesus we know judas you know not we're gonna take him out you know 11 that were really stuck did a good job peter james and john were the the inner circle that spent a lot of time with jesus so for herod to to kill james uh the brother of john is a big deal okay this is hard for the early church to experience this and herod being the pragmatist that he is sees that his approval ratings began to tick maybe somebody in his staff is like hey you're up seven points 
after you killed James? And he's like, hmm, okay, we're going to continue this. So what is he? Who, who's the next highest ranking official in their church or in this group? And they said, well, Peter, he's, pretty, he's a pretty big deal. Let's go after him. So that's what he did. And so it's really for him, I, you know, and I think we'll, we'll get to this a little later. I don't think it was so much that King Herod was like anti Jesus. He was just really pro-Herod. <laughs> and I think something for us to be careful about, for all of us, I think even historically speaking, a lot of people that have made really poor choices, it's not like they were so anti someone else, but they were just seeking uh, you know, their own self so much that it led them to do some really, really heinous things. So that's where we'll see here moving forward. But he's he's got... Peter and he's going to arrest him, but he wanted to wait and to have a public trial after the Passover because, once again, for the Jewish people that he's concerned about, he's wanting to win their approval. And certain now, even just another aside here, once again, as you read this, understand that Peter is Jewish. <laughs> okay, all the I mean, the 11 disciples, the 12 disciples, they were all Jewish. Many followers of Jesus in that time were Jewish. Okay, that's that's who got, Jesus spent the majority of his ministry initially was to Jewish people. It's just that there was a certain segment, the Pharisees, some of them, they wanted to have their place in society. And you actually see that in John, if you read the Gospel of John, later on, one of the reasons why they create this false narrative around Jesus is because they're worried about losing their place in society. That's really what they wanted. It wasn't so much if Jesus was the Messiah or not, they just didn't want to lose the privilege that they had in, in the place they had in the Roman government. And so, but so, as I said, many Jewish people followed Jesus, but many did not. And so basically there was a section of people that said, we want to see the church fail. And what I, as I said, many times it had nothing to do with theology. It had everything to do with selfish ambition and, and moving things forward. So, but in order to keep everything above reproach with that, his target audience, Herod says, well, wait until after the Passover. So verse five, says this so peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to god for him thank you dr luke you know the author of acts giving us this important aside about what is taking place here so you guys can already tell hey if you read in acts you know you don't have to be a big theologian when when god's people pray big stuff happens so a little foreshadowing there but moving forward in verse six the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So once again, I love Dr. Luke. He's a, he was a companion of Paul and from those writings, we can see that he was a doctor more than likely and he records a lot of details. Once again, it wasn't that somebody just left they weren't trying. They're trying really hard. He's in Supermax, if you will. It's not easy to get out. I don't think they had like the lasers, you know, in those times, <laughs> like motion detectors, but they just overwhelmed it with manpower. 16 guys for, or four guys for one guy that's really not even violent. Seems a little excessive. So, and, but I love this about Peter. He's so stressed out right now. He's in deep sleep. I think at this point in his life, all the stuff that he's gone through, He's just like, man, if it, I'm, I'm ready to see Jesus, if that's what it is. If not, um, I'm going to keep moving forward. So he is at peace. So I just think probably those guards uh, are probably a little are wondering the guy right before his trials to begin. And it's probably not going to be very long. Probably would be, the previous guy got beheaded. This could happen to you as well. 
He's not stressed out though, so it's a really cool testimony uh, for that. And then but verse seven, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. The angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Once again, I like that. You know, most times when an angel appears in scripture, they always are like, do not be afraid, you know, because it's an angel and everybody's freaked out. And Peter just is asleep. He's like, you know, sorry, this is not the first time that I've seen an angel. You're really awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'm just so tired, you know. He's just so drowsy. But verse 8, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. I just think he's drowsy, you know, just kind of getting up like, what's going on? Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. <laughs> he thought he was seeing a vision. So once again, he's like, maybe this is this is the end. This is what God's going to do. How, you know, uh, metaphysically, I'm going to pass to be with Jesus. This is how the chains are falling. And like, no, dude, for real, you're getting, you're breaking out. This is the heist again. <laughs> you're free is what's taking place. And then uh, verse 10, they passed the first and second guards. I don't know how. Maybe, you know, they just walked by. An angel is there providing all this and they came to the iron gate iron gate leading to the city it opened for them by itself so once again i don't think they had a lot of automated uh motion motion detecting doors at this time so god is doing some amazing things and luke is recording these because people were wondering how did this happen if, if you're re reading this in this time you're thinking dude how does this happen how could this really take place there must have been something that happened and luke is like no this is supernatural Jesus happened. You know, God happened. It's something spectacular that really has trouble to be explained. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left Peter. Verse 11, I love this from, from Peter here. He says, Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So it's like after all of that, he's as a free guy just standing there on the street, and he's like, okay, this is a real deal. <laughs> this was not a vision. I'm really living this. And uh, verse 12, when, he, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit just while we're here. Really interesting. For, for those of you who may not, this was more than likely uh, this event took place somewhere between 41 and 44, probably closer to 44 um, because of how we know the story ends but at this time so john mark for those of you who maybe aren't aware is most people believe he is the the primary right the, the guy who authored wrote who, and wrote down the gospel of mark okay and so most people believe though that his primary source because obviously john mark wasn't one of the 12 disciples and if, in case you're wondering the, uh, the means for scripture being canonical is there needs to be an apostle who is a primary source, like a capital A apostle, not just somebody that has spiritual entrepreneur and gifting, but I'm talking, they, they were with Jesus. That's like, if you look at all the New Testament writings and somebody ever asks you, well, why is this one in here? Why is this one not? It's because the people who wrote it were with Jesus and it was commonly re recognized by the early church in that time. So, but Peter more than likely was the primary source for Mark, which was chronologically speaking, the first gospel that was written down. And so it's very close, it, you know, when you think about, and it could have been written in the 40s AD. 
So, you know, the band is just getting together for the first time is what we're seeing. It's really cool what, what's taking place. And this is the home that Peter goes to. And verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to, the, to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. Uh, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, he, it must be his angel. <laughs> but Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. P Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Once again, a major turning point where he says, tell the other brothers, tell James, which for those of you who maybe aren't familiar, so we already had James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. He's already passed away. We know he was executed earlier on. So more than likely, he is speaking about James, the author of the epistle, you know, or of the, the New Testament letter, James, who was also a leader in the early church and more than likely was, guess, would be considered a half-brother of Jesus. So would have grown up with Jesus, not, not from the sense of being divine, but half-brother because they share the mother, Mary, obviously, Jesus' son is the Holy, you know, Father, <laughs> God, God the Father. So, but they would have grown up together, and Peter is wanting to encourage the other brothers with the good news. Verse 18, in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Probably I feel bad for those guys. It was tough to be a prisoner in that time. Herod was acting well within his rights, but uh, something we'll, we'll look at a little more. Sometimes you do everything that you can, and God still seems to work, and I don't really think it, it's obviously not the soldier's fault. They were just doing their job, and uh, they're following orders, but Herod, he is determined in moving in a certain direction, and it, it leads to uh, a, a poor ending for him. Second half of 19, then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So a little FYI about the way Herod died. It's funny how I, I talk about movies and stuff a lot when I preach, but it is funny how much that influences when we read something like, if you think about Jonah, for whatever reason, you probably think about the story of Jonah and the whale. You probably think about Pinocchio, right? Am I the only one that thinks about sitting in a whale and he's just like, it's, I don't think it was like that, okay, just so you know. But we think about the Pinocchio story because we grow up, that's what's in our head. So when I think about this, hearing eat being eaten by worms, for some, for some reason I remember like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and they like look at the ark, you know, and it's like, don't look in the ark, people, you know, whatever it is, and they all get eaten up like that. So. 
I don't think it necessarily happened like that. So once again, media uh, influences us a little bit. I don't, I'm all about some imagination. But Josephus was another influential figure, and he was a uh, more than likely a believer and also a, a historian at this time, believes that Herod died more of a slow death, but it was a stomach issue. And I think Luke, what Luke is saying here, though, is that it was worms. And once again, as a doctor, he would know what he's talking about. So, but at that time, there it wasn't Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it was, you know, it began this decline in his health because of Herod's response. And so, but verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So really, really exciting time. So I want to just take, take three uh, concepts for us to look at. And here, here's the first thing is this, rely on God through prayer in opposition. Some of these, these I've given you a lot of the context. And what I love about the early church is prayer was their means of not just coping or dealing with things or managing stress, but it was a force. Like it, it unleashed God and it moved. And I, I, I fear sometimes as, a, as for us in modern art, you know, in San Diego, especially, in a time in which you engage with so many people that are not from a church background. I mean, basically a lot of people in our city, maybe they have heard something about Jesus. They probably don't have like a really grounded understanding of the gospel. You know, most people don't. And so when we're trying to explain things about prayer, sometimes we think about it like as a way to deal with stress or a coping mechanism, which all those things are great. You know, we need to, like I said, Give these things. Cast your cares upon Christ or upon Him because He cares for you. You know, First Peter told us that. So all those things are important. And and but I don't. We don't want to reduce it to just positive thinking. Okay, it's just not positive thinking. And and you know, culturally speaking, I see it on social media all the time. You know, we're sending our thoughts and prayers for a situation. Depending on the person, sometimes they don't like to have to say prayer. Say. Our thoughts are with you and, and that type of thing, which I know they mean well. Hey, we love you. We care We care about you. We're thinking about you. But prayer is a powerful means to, to intersect our lives with, with the God of all creation. And I, in no way, and we don't have time to kind of give a full-on theological understanding about prayer, but in so much as we align our life and we say, Lord, I want my will to reflect your will. I want my heart to reflect your heart. And as we do that and we pursue the Lord in that way and we follow him as we pray, it's not so much that we're praying for God to do something that is foreign or outside of his direction and history, but we're saying is, Lord, your will be done. And isn't that right? Isn't that what the Lord's prayer is? Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And so much as we align ourselves with Him, I can tell you, when you pray according to God's will, the answer is yes. Now, I don't know when that's always going to happen, but that is the answer because God's will is going to be accomplished. It will take place. And so for us as followers, that's what we need to do. And once again, something that I was going to get to a little later, but sometimes you see an instance like this where especially in Acts, you see this. I don't know if you guys remember the story about Ananias and Sapphira, right? The people that sold the land, they told everybody they gave all the land, right? All the money from the sale of the land. And, but they actually only gave a portion of it. Now, 
I just today, are there people that aren't 100% honest about stuff like that? Of course. Now, I think personally, God was making a statement in the early church, right? Of saying, hey, this is a big deal. The Holy Spirit, you don't lie to God. You know, be honest, especially in that early church. It was kind of making an example. And I really believe in this instance, as we, as we said, this was not just a little challenge. This, this was a heart-wrenching moment for the church as one of their leaders had been brutally and publicly killed. Okay, that's really tough. And now the next in line, and you just got to wonder as the early church, who's next? You know, who else is going to be here? And the whole movement of the gospel is at risk, at risk right here. So God responds in a powerful way. And I believe he's making an example out of Herod in this moment because he is trying to oppose. Now, like I said before, I do not believe personally that Herod was so anti-Christianity. I think he just wanted his will to be done. And I think this is something that, honestly, our modern culture has in common with Herod and we have to be careful about. And, and a lot of people would say, well, it's not that I'm so anti-Jesus. I just want to do blah, 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 blah. I'm all about myself and, and my goals. And But once we get to that situation, anything is possible. So for us, what one of the things that I want you to take away today is prayer is powerful. And you don't have to uh, apologize for that. You know, as I said, sometimes people will uh, talk about social media. You know, people, you say, hey, you're praying for somebody. Well, like, oh, I'm tired of prayer. Let's actually do something about it. And they don't understand the heart of what prayer is. Because when we pray, not only does God work, but he moves us. So prayer is something that inspires us to take the right action. Now, I don't, obviously, I'm not going to troll somebody's Twitter feed and go over there and try to explain that in 140 characters or 280. I don't remember how much it is right now anyway. But um, that, that's the truth. So as you don't have to apologize for being a person of prayer. And, and do not uh, minimize what God can do. But remember, pray according to His will, and the Lord will move and work in a powerful way. And that, that's what we see. And, and, and so the other thing with, with opposition, you know, Peter was facing opposition for doing the right thing. Uh, and just being honest, very few of you have, or of us have probably been thrown in prison because we were a follower of Jesus, especially the Supermax. You know, maybe you've experienced some kind of struggle or difficulty because of that. That, that happens. I know certainly you have probably experienced cultural disdain in some way. If you're a public about your faith, maybe you've missed a promotion, maybe you've lost a job in some way, especially in this, this our culture now. Um, when you look at the global perspective of the world, just so you know, there are more, more Christians have died for their faith in the last hundred years than all of human history combined. So it's persecution is very much a real thing. So even though we... Uh, in our country are very blessed. And even uh, though it is far from a perfect country, the freedoms that we enjoy, and even though, just I'm not gonna get political, but this season it has been exceptionally toxic as a whole, we have the freedom to say and do a lot of things. Now, once again, you can make an argument, our freedoms are killing us <laughs> in our country. You know, with, with the US, I, I think we have enough freedom, what we need is to not think about what we can do, but what we should do, <laughs> what honors Jesus. And that's, that's really the question. The wise thing to do is not just whatever I can, but what is most beneficial for me to do. So that's what we need to pursue. But 
we live in a culture where, where we can express ourselves. So, but other than that too, even if you're not, while it's not specifically mentioned in this passage, you may ha- be facing some kind of opposition. Sometimes, so I'm telling a, uh, another young guy that I'm in a discipleship relationship with, sometimes it's because we made a bad choice and we feel like we're going through a trial or a difficulty and the Lord is like, no, you're reaping what you sowed. <laughs> That's what you're talking about. Or Bill Murray, uh, comedian, uh, he has a quote that I like. You know, People say everything happens for a reason and Bill Murray said something to the effect of, Sometimes the reason is you're an idiot, <laughs> you know, across the board. So don't sow a, a stupid choice and then be surprised when you reap that stupidity and it comes back and forth. But here's what's so cool about our Lord, our Father that loves us, is I can't tell you how many times I have sown plenty of stupidity in my life. And I, in prayer, and I say, Lord, please help me. I shouldn't be here. You told, you told me not to do this. And I, you've told me three times. I told you I would never be here again. Yet, here I am. And I, I need you again. And I honestly, if I was you, God, I wouldn't pay me the time of day. But will you please help me? Will you intercede in my life? And the Lord will do that. Sometimes it's not always the way that we want. Um, sometimes we may have to experience more of the consequences of our choices than what we would like to. But I promise you, the Lord will never leave you in that situation. And even as you go through those consequences for whatever those choices may be, God is going, he will have forgiven you and accepted you. And I'll give you an extreme example. Obviously, like if you've, if you've experienced, if you committed a felony and, you know, somebody finds himself in jail, I believe those people can sincerely repent. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to visit someone in prison. I've had a chance to do that with my, as a pastor and it's, it's, it's a scary place. It's not somewhere that you want to go, <laughs> especially the place where uh, Peter was being kept. Something like that, a supermax, is a scary place, and you have conversations. And, and some people say, well, they're just saying whatever they can to get out of prison. Or I'm like, I've had conversations, and some guys know it's going to be a while before they get to get out. And they can be sincere and genuine in their repentance. And what's so cool is to see the faith of those guys and say, I'm going to serve my term, but even while I'm here, I'm going to honor Jesus. I'm going to please him while I'm here. And so I think that's one of the, the, the realizations is if we make the wrong choice and we end up in the wrong place and we're, we're facing the fruit of our ways, then what we can still do is know that God is going to help us. He will give the, the perspective for us to make it through and he, he will be with us. And he's like the way he forgives is immediate. It's not the way we forgive where I'm going to give you a six month probation period to see if you really mean it or not. And then maybe I'll let you back in slowly. He's like, no, 100%. Come back. I receive you as far as the east is from the west. I have removed your sin from you. So for us, though, prayer is powerful. And when you face opposition, whether it's for doing the right thing, like what Peter did, or just making a bad choice, maybe you don't know where it is. Go to the Lord in prayer because that is a powerful weapon. And in the same way, following how Peter responded in this instance. That's what the early church did. Peter, what he did was to give God praise for his deliverance. Give God praise for his or for the Lord's deliverance in our lives. Uh, I think part of the reason why Peter was able to be so relaxed in this moment, as we said, is because he figured out what uh, the apostle Paul had figured out, which is Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
He's like, look, there's, because Paul, another brother in prison, as he's writing this, as I said, ironically with Philippians, a um, book about joy written by a guy in prison. That would be tough to have like a good bestseller. If you know, if you're writing a book today and like, hey, I want to write to you about joy and you're in prison, people would find that hard to believe, you know, but Paul is writing about joy and he's like, look, if I die and he's, he's suffering for things for doing the right thing. It's tough. I don't know if you've ever, like I get a bad speeding ticket. I still, I got a speeding ticket or a lame parking ticket or a traffic violation three years ago. I still gripe about that sometimes. And it's nothing, okay? It's nothing. It's just like the principle, okay? Don't get me started. But so Paul, he's living through this. And he's like, you know what? If I die, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go be with Jesus anyway. If I live, I'm going to keep doing ministry. There's nothing that they can do to shut me up. I'm going to move forward. I mean, how do you deal? You're trying to stop it. How do you deal with that type of stuff? You can't stop that attitude. Peter had the same ideas. That's why he's, he's sleeping. He's, he's relaxing <laughs> in the midst of an extreme situation. The night before, he's, he's going to be killed. And we talked about already the, the sort of comical situation that he walks through. But the first thing, and, and for people to actually believe that it was, Peter was there, but what does he do? He says, make sure the other brothers know what God has done. That is, the story is not over. This is going to continue moving forward. I think at that point, Peter realized why he was okay with death. I believe he understood that he had more ministry to accomplish for this movement that Jesus had started. And he says, you make sure they know and to declare what God has done and how he has moved and how he has worked. And I think, you know, once again, knowing this about James, who is later the author, wrote the other book, I think it may have even influenced what James wrote, which is a major idea, a consistent theme for the early church in dealing with persecution. He says in James 1, 2 through 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what James says is these challenges, these difficulties that we're all, I, I just feel like, you know, when you would talk, I just try to imagine, you imagine like, be, I know they didn't have like Ring Central group or Zoom group or Connect group, but I imagine they're in homes, they're praying for one another. And can, can you just imagine like maybe, you know, some of you maybe have lost someone or had someone suffer because of COVID, but probably every person in that room for that group would have lost someone because of persecution. I mean, maybe it was somebody in that group. You have an empty chair where someone used to sit who had died because of persecution. Wouldn't it be easy to get discouraged a little bit to the challenge of facing that? And I just think gloom could overwhelm things. And I just love James's attitude where I think we, he had loved and shepherded those people. He had walked with them through these tough seasons. But I said, you consider it joy. This is not the end. God is going to persevere. When you go through these hard times, be joyful because it brings about perseverance. And it takes perseverance for us to move forward and to continue, especially in those times. And But still, in our times today, when we face trials, we, when we face struggles and difficulties, we have to persevere and we can lean on what the Lord does in us through these challenging situations to help us get there. And as I said, though, I think what I mentioned earlier, I feel like in this moment, perhaps Peter realized the importance 
of the message that he had of, of, of how unique his experience was in the sense of spending his those three years with Jesus. And I think, I don't know exactly, but maybe if they hadn't already started, Peter eventually, because after this, you know, he goes and hides. He's like, look, you know, Peter, he's experienced. He knows, like, look, I can't go here. That's the first place they would look, right? If you're running out of, it's not like I've fled uh, prison before, but I've seen a lot of movies, right? When you flee, flee prison, you don't go back to your home because that's the first place they'll look. So Peter's like, look, I can't stay here. But I think later on, after things cooled down a little bit, Peter meets up with John Mark and he says, I gotta, we got to get this message out. It's too important if it's just in me. We've got to have a bigger picture. We've got to write this stuff down because I've got to declare what God has done. I've got to get this message out to other people. And maybe it was this near-death experience and realizing that God gave him, gave him, and this is honestly in the book of Acts, this is one of the last times that Peter is the main, or, or the church in Jerusalem is really the main emphasis. And then it shifts to the Gentile church. And I think it's because what Peter realized is I have to get this message out to other people. And in the same way for us, when God moves and he works in your life, I won't belabor the point, you got to tell people about it. Especially in these times, we need to encourage one another with what God is moving and how he's working. And I would even say even much so, much so to your, people, your friends that don't know Jesus. They need to hear hope. I have a lot of friends who don't know Jesus, and I love that I get to be, for some of them, the closest thing to having a, you know, a church experience or a community and to be a part of their life. And you guys, you don't understand the power for if everyone in, in this group today just got a fire to communicate and, and to be a person of prayer and to declare what God is moving and how he's working, how powerful that is. And because that is the formula. You know, my, part of my job is to create training and and solutions and resources for church planners and all that stuff is great but sometimes you just look at acts and like the shutdowns we were facing and the challenges and difficulties and then i look at acts and i'm like dude they faced way more challenges and sometimes i feel like kind of a weakling <laughs> compared to what they are going through and they continued moving forward is because they understood the power of prayer and the power of sharing what jesus is doing with other people and we cannot move away from that we cannot minimize that and the final thing that, that i want to share with you guys today is um to learn from herod's perspective as well we've we've seen the good news the final uh point for us is to remember pride and opposition to god leads to a fall and with with herod once as i said he is very much all about herod and herod's goals herod's dreams herod's pre preferred future so much so, you know, he's willing to, the end, justify the means. In his mind, hey, if I've got to kill a few of these guys to bring about greater stability in the region, it's worth it. You know, and, and his advisors or whatever, you can justify all kinds of things in your mind. When, if you allow yourself to, we've all been there, we've all done that, can rationalize anything. That's why we need people in our life to call us out. So you have to actually say what you're thinking. And as the words go through your mouth you realize that's a bad idea <laughs> if anybody else has been there i've done that and sit down and you you think this situation is so complicated and you sit down with a mentor and you say it and you realize this is not complicated <laughs> i just don't want to do the hard thing okay it's many times life is simple and for herod though he was surrounded with people 
that were all about Herod as well. And it was allowed him to justify these things where he did horrible and atrocious things. And ultimately, it cost him his life because he opposed the Lord and in his pride, he would not allow himself to be humbled. And like what a few verses on, on pride as we conclude. Proverbs 11, 2 says this, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 1, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. So these, these ideas about Pride, and, and as I mentioned with Herod, he did everything he could humanly do to keep Peter locked up. He did everything he could do, and still Peter got out. And it was supernatural means, all those things that I said. And what did Herod do? One could consider maybe bigger forces are at work here. Maybe I can humble myself and admit that even though I am temporarily king of this people i am not the king of all creation but herod he lowered his head continued to push forward and say well i'm just going to kill all these guards and i'm going to keep moving forward and he he in pride and uh and just his self-interest trying to elevate himself but what uh it hadn't been written at this time more than likely and certainly herod was not aware of the prince the principle revelation 7 1 in the introductions to those churches, uh, the letters that are written to those churches, I love what, what it says here, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And I believe in our life, we, especially for us as followers of Jesus, we have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I don't want to pursue anything on my own i just want to have your will and this is this is a problem like for me growing up and i grew up in a church um i was maybe a c student christian for a lot of my life i got saved when i was 11 and when i would hear god's will of uh, pursuing god's will for my life really what i wanted is god to give me my preferred future that's what i was really wanting like god's will in marriage was like give me my dream girl you know you know from that you know and that's i just had it twisted in my brain and what i had to learn though god's will has nothing to do with my preference it has everything to do with his and instead learning to love god's will and realize that i just need to love and not just his will but god <laughs> love him and enjoy the journey and the process of walking with him and living with him and humble yourself before him and i love what it says in james 4 10 the lord will lift you up in due time and what the Lord lifts up, no one can put down. But what he closes, no one can open as well. And there's not a lot of times in history where he works. So, I mean, he works in really, really powerful ways all the time, obviously. But in this instance, is very, today, maybe not so much in the sense he's still moving and working. But with Luke, the interpreter of these events, we're able to see, man, he intersected in Herod's life in a powerful way. Because any ruling authority or power they only have that because the lord allows them to and guess what you only have that influence for a season there's always after herod died guess what there was another king so we're not the king we serve the king doesn't matter what political party or preference you are or what your what your job is you are that there for a season and what i would recommend all of us to do first if you are pursuing like herod if you are pursuing self-interest above the gospel, I want to warn you. 
I mean, I want to just consider that I don't know where everybody is. We're friends, but I want to. There's moments in life where I would, if I would have continued doing something stupid, I would have really suffered for it. Proverbs 29:1. He who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. You don't see that in a, hanging over a lot of kids' beds, you know, like on birthday cards when people are like, "Hey, have a happy birthday." Remember. If you keep moving forward after you've been warned, you may die all of a sudden. Have a great year, rest of your year. You don't see that a lot. It's not like a, a heartwarming verse, but it's true. It's true. And for Herod, it was true in his life. And, and for us, what we want to do is just humble ourselves. And what's scary, sometimes we know what that thing is. Sometimes we don't. And this is part of humbling ourselves before the Lord to say, if there's anything in my life where I'm pursuing me, Instead of pursuing you, show me that. Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139, 23-24. David is praying for God to seek him, to find anything that is offensive. And that's what we need to do. So if you know, but whether you know Jesus or not, don't oppose him. Humble yourself before him and he will lift you up in due time and it will be about his purposes and it will be totally worth it. So just as we conclude, once again, looking at this idea, when you face opposition, I encourage you, respond in prayer. Don't and you don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to make a big deal about it. But that is, it is not the last thing you do, or it is not the most insignificant thing that you do. It is not the opening ceremony thing you do. Like I said, sometimes I joke as a pastor, it's like a ceremonial prayer. But that's what it is in our culture, right? A lot of times people don't have any concern about God the rest of the event, but we just pray to start it, okay? And that's that's not what prayer is. It is power. So when you face opposition, be intense about prayer, humble yourself, communicate that request to other people so they can join around in prayer because when you tell somebody else, that ups the stakes. When everybody is praying together, that ups the stakes that God has to do something. And I promise you, the Lord will never let you down when the stakes have, been, have risen. He, he loves it when we step out in faith, He will respond. In the same way, when he moves, declare his word to other people. The gospel that we read in Mark is because Peter was passionate about declaring God's work. You don't be the last link in the Great Commission chain. Continue it moving forward. Share that hope with other people and finally humble yourself before God. I'm not saying that tomorrow you're going to get a case of the worms and have Raiders of the Lost Ark or have a slow and painful death, but still... What's worse is to continue forward and live this life all about yourself and to stand before Jesus and realize you made a big mistake. And what part of what that means is graciously loving and in a patient and kind way, communicating the hope of Jesus to those people who are around us. Don't beat people over the head with the Bible, but love them and graciously earn a hearing with them and share as much as people will listen. Like I say, when I the, I teach my kids about Jesus, I don't just say, hey, if you don't accept this, you're going to burn today. Like, you're going to burn when you die. Like, that would freak my kids out. You know, honestly, what I want to do is, I, it's true though, but I want to communicate it in the most effective way possible. That doesn't mean I hide from the harsh realities like what happened here for Herod, but what it means, like God judged Herod at that moment. It's a reality. Why did he do that? Because he opposed the very redemptive mission that, that Jesus died for, that he rose again for to continue. 
So all of us, let's humble ourselves before God and allow Him to lift us up. And and what like as I mentioned, as I was uh, thinking about this message and just thinking about your church, I feel like this is a season in which we get past this. And a lot, I've said this to a lot of churches. I believe that many many people are going to be looking to connect again. They're going to be looking for this. this is an opportunity for us as a church to step up. You know, one day people may read about this and. I can't promise that anybody will remember your name or your contribution, but be a part of that nameless crowd of Jesus followers who have laid down their life in service for him and in service for other people. And that when you stand before the Lord, it will be an amazing reward. And whatever that you're living for now, because I've tasted it, <laughs> I've, I've pursued things for myself. That's, I, that's why I feel like I can relate to Herod as much as I would hate to admit it. I can sometimes fall into his line of thinking. I can justify all kinds of stuff when I get self pursuing my own self-interest. But join the crowd of people that are laying their lives for Jesus, and I promise you will never regret that, and the Lord will move and work. And like it said at the very end, and the Word of God continue to spread. We get to be a part of that life change. So as we conclude, I'm going to pray for us, and I think Dan's going to come up and maybe have another worship song, song to, to, finish, to finish up. But uh, feel free, if you'd like to speak to me afterwards, I'm, I'm here. Anything I can do to serve your church, to talk with you guys about, of course, Josh and Dan and, and many of the leaders here available as well. So don't leave here, though. If you've got something, if there's something that you need to adjust based off of what I've said today, don't leave here until you tell somebody about that. I would encourage you to, to make that, to get help for whatever situation or issue you may be facing. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you hear us in prayer, and that you unleash your love, mercy, grace, life, and power through prayer. Remind us to go to you in prayer perpetually, including when we face opposition for following you or doing the right thing. We give you praise in advance that you will always deal with us perfectly, and we honor you for your deliverance. We humble ourselves before you, remove pride and selfishness from our lives use whatever means you need to grow us to reflect jesus and to have the perseverance to continue following you use our lives to advance your good news found in jesus father i just i thank you for the people of this church thank you for every one of them i thank you for dan and josh and jeremy and uh, Melissa and Ian and all the people here that, that love you and, and they love Obed and they love Ellen and they've continued to love them for all this time and I, I just I, we praise you we give you a, we just want to say thank you for working in their life it's, it's no small thing God while it's not quite the same supernatural level of what happened in Acts we praise you nonetheless and I believe you've answered prayers in, in this way and we know the reason why you do that, though, is that your word could continue to spread, that other people could hear about you. And that's my prayer for this church, is that you would use this church to share your hope with other people. I pray for every person here that as they're a part of that, they would experience health in every area of their life. And they would grow and, and be blessed to be a blessing to the city and to the world. He seems to be asking Jesus' name. Amen.